Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Let's Talk Property podcast. Guys, thank you so much for all the love and support that you showed me for the launch of my podcast. I literally thought that it was my birthday, like that is the sort of love that you guys showed me. Today's episode is going to be a good one. We've got a guest on this episode. Our guest episode is also going to be every fortnight for those that want to know. But anyway, today's episode is going to be one for the first time buyers. So we have an amazing guy. His name is Paul Roberts. Paul is a property investor, a property mentor and a financial advisor. He has such a profitable portfolio within property as well. He has a wealth of experience in buying property, refurbishing them and then managing the properties. He also has an amazing property portfolio builder trader course that is launching this month and you can find it on his website called paulanthonyroberts.com and you can also find all of this information and access to his personal Instagram lives, his personal webinars on his Instagram which is paul underscore anthony underscore roberts you can find all the information there but just a breakdown of what we're going to talk about today guys is the first time buyer mortgage process whether you should speak to a mortgage broker or speak to someone from the bank and what are the first time buyer options for people that live in london because we all know londoners you just take the biggest l when it comes to buying properties um and also what affects the amount of money that you can borrow from a mortgage broker Uh, So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. As I said in my last episode, if you didn't listen, go and listen. But as I said in my last episode, if you have any sort of question, just let me know. Let me know and I will try my best to get it answered in the best possible way. As I said, there's no such thing as a stupid question. No such thing. So if you don't know what a mortgage is, there is content on my page talking about what mortgage is best for you. There's also a post that just came out that also goes over what can help you boost your affordability from a mortgage lender as well. So go check out the Instagram, go scroll through the page and just see if there's anything else that you feel like um, you need to just refresh your memory on. I have a first time buyer checklist for those that are first time buyers. So yeah, anyway, as I said, no waffling. Let's get straight into this episode. everybody we have an amazing guest today mr paul roberts i've got paul on here today really to talk about everything that you'll need to know um, when you're buying your first property this is really for first time buyers um so if you could paul just talk me through the process of applying for a mortgage as a first time buyer because i know that it can be quite confusing yes so I always like to start with the principles of lending because it it's the same whether you're a first time buyer or a developer throwing up, you know, a hundred flats in the middle mm-hmm. of Birmingham or, or London or wherever. So when you're applying for a mortgage, the lenders are really looking at two things. They're looking at your ability to pay and the security or the property that you're buying. Yeah. So the process goes something like this as far as a mortgage application is concerned you will um 
you would have found a property. Now, in fact, let me rewind. Let me start with the estate agents. And um, I'm just going to make the statement that I tend to always make. When you walk into an estate agent, they will tell you that you need to have an agreement in principle or mm -hmm. speak to their broker. Um, none of that is actually true or even, dare I say, it, legal. They're not, they can't, it's not mandatory. That's something that they're just introducing. And I'll tell you why they, they say that to you. It's really to make sure that you're credible. Mm -hmm. House buying process, you can literally walk in off the street and make offers on properties and nobody checks whether you can afford it. You know, it's all, it's all talk, I say, until you get to exchange of contracts. Yeah. You have to part with your 10% deposit. Yeah, because as as with me, I am like a first time buyer. I'm currently in the process of buying my first property at the moment. And yeah. before Corona, I could just go to any house and view it. Whereas like now, they're really being kind of like really fussy with me having an agreement in principle ready before I can even view the house. Like a lot of them are saying, you must send it over. And to be honest with you, I didn't know that it wasn't even mandatory for me to be able to send it over. I understand it because obviously with Corona, you want to make sure people are serious buyers, but the kind of like demand for it now was a lot different. I've, I've, and I'm hearing that a lot. And th there's a reason why we don't, you know, as, as financial advisors, we do not tell anybody to, to get an agreement in principle. We ask you for a lot of information up front. So mm -hmm. the documentation that we ask for that you need to have to hand is obviously your proof of ID. That's your passport or driving license proof of address, which we can really pick up off your bank statements. We need your last three months bank statements, pay slips, or tax returns, tax calculations, and tax overviews if you're self-employed, uh, and proof of deposit, and your credit report. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing out of all of that is your credit report. Well, actually, it's all important. We need to know your income, and we need to know what your credit profile looks like. So the agreement in principle process, when you, when you put your details in online, that's all the lenders really looking at. They're looking at your income and they're looking at your credit. Now, every time you go for an agreement in principle, although they say it's a soft footprint, you have a soft footprint and a hard footprint search on your file. Sorry about the background noise, but I've got to have the windows open. Yes, <laughs> it's okay. There's a hard footprint and soft footprint approach, but either which way, it affects your, your score. The, the number of searches that go on your file affects your score. So, you know, how many properties are you might likely to look at, um, you know, within within a short space of time? Mm -hmm. in principles last for 30 days, but it's based on the purchase price of the property that you're buying. Yeah. You might look at something that's, I don't know, two, I'm, I'm in London. So you might look at something that's 250,000 and then you might look at something that's 300,000. So we don't encourage you to go and get an agreement in principle ahead of time. It doesn't really make any sense um because for us we have 90 plus lenders and 11 or 12,000 products at any one time to select a mortgage product for you from yeah. so you go in you can of course walk into nationwide or barclays or natwest or any other high street bank and get an agreement in principle but they can only tell you uh, about their deals about their products when you use an advisor, we can tell you about the best product based on your circumstances and the property that you're buying. Um, so the whole agreement in principle thing, we we don't agree with. And 
when we take people on as clients, we call the estate agents and we tell them like, look, um, Haley's been in to see us. We've got all of her documentation. She doesn't, she's good to go. She can borrow up to X, um, you know, once she's got a, an agreement, once she's got an offer accepted, we're ready to process her application. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that really gets around it because it's just a credibility issue with the yeah. agent. Did I answer the question? I can't remember the question. I just wrapped. Yeah, it was. It's kind of like the process of applying for a mortgage um, ah. for a first-time buyer. Yeah. So once you've had a mortgage offer accepted, um, we've got all of those documents that I listed, proof of deposit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then we submit an application. You pay a valuation fee. Uh, and there's two types of valuation. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, there's there's two types. Well, technically, there's three types of valuation, but really, there's two uh, application stage is what I would recommend. There's a basic valuation, which is the cheapest, which is just for the bank's benefit, really. That's them sending out a surveyor to make sure the property meets their checklist of properties that they accept, and also it's valued uh, appropriately for what you're what you're paying for it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the second type of valuation report is a home buyer's report. Now, this one gives a more, you get a report for that. And it gives you a more detailed outline of, of the things in the property. So if you're a first time buyer and you're spending, I don't know, 150 to 300,000 on a property, uh, especially if it's a house rather than a flat, then I would highly recommend you get a home buyer's report. Okay. And if you want to have an example of what that looks like, if you go to the RICS website rics it's in a standard format so you'd, you'd be able to see what will be populated in that report and what the standard format looks like and how much would that roughly cost it's valuations are always based on uh property prices so okay. I, in london always pay more for everything yeah um but so a basic valuation could be anywhere from 250 to 300 and the average home buyers is maybe five five hundred 600 mm-hmm. so the extra couple of hundred pounds when you're spending you know six years it's a big it's a big acquisition you should really you know not be a uh, penny wise and pound four it's worth spending the extra money to, to get the home buyers report mm. and do you always have to pay for valuation or is sometimes a valuation free sometimes valuations are free that varies from lender to lender it's not standard for first-time buyers or anything like that Mm -hmm. is some lenders offer products that have a free valuation uh, lenders don't so again when you go to your advisor if you come to us you might specify that i want a free valuation but we we would always recommend um that you don't specify that because lenders might offer a free valuation but they might charge a higher arrangement fee so you're always kind of paying in one way or the other they always make their money (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what they love. That's what they actually love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Banks banks are in the business to lend money uh, and mm -hmm. they make money by lending money. Mm -hmm. How they dress that up in order to attract people. Um, I think there was an advert. Who who ran that advert? Was it Virgin talking about teaser rates for savings? You know, you can come in. You're a new person. You can come in. Um, we've got this great rate for you. Oh no, you're an existing customer. You don't get this rate. So they, yeah. you know, there there is an element of that. And the way, again, when you speak to us or you speak to any sort of uh, financial advisor, you want to look at the total amount that you're paying over the fixed term of that product. So if it's a two year rate or a five year rate, 
you want to look at the total that you pay, which will include fees rather than just the interest rate. Yeah, you want to include everything. Yeah. Do you feel like, from what you said before, you mentioned the banks and you mentioned yourself, mm -hmm. do you feel like it's more beneficial speaking to a mortgage broker or just speaking directly to your bank? I, I, I definitely think... I mean, look, you can go to your bank. Yeah. Um, you've got to get an appointment with your advisor. They typically work nine to five. So you're going to have to take time off to go in and find them unless they're open on a Saturday morning and you can get an appointment. Yeah. Um, but again, they can only tell you about their products. Now, I'm not going to shoot down going direct because we charge fees. So you kind of pay for the service. Mm hmm. The, the broker in the bank, they only know about their products. And if you're with sort of Nationwide or Santander, you're not going to be too far away off your best rate. Mm -hmm. But we have a, a certain value add to the process because we kind of hold your hand all the way through, you yeah. know, with the estate agent. What happens if you get a down valuation or the vendor has said this or the agent has said that? or this has gone wrong in the transaction or something along the way, we've got a vast amount of experience. You know, we have combined experience of over 30 years of, of arranging finance for people and helping people. And we, we hold your hand even over and beyond just arranging the finance. You yeah. Know? Which I think is really important, especially as a first time buyer, the whole process can be a little bit confusing, a little bit stressful. So I feel like having a good company, like yours would just really, really help kind of ease the process, make things a little bit easier to understand. Having having that person there that you can just call and just ask simple questions to, yeah. where sometimes with the bank, you don't really get that kind of hand-holding, as you were saying. Yeah, you don't get the same access. The estate agent yeah. the estate agent will bully you a little bit because he knows you're also quite green. Uh, yeah. Mr. Ez can be quite... I don't want to. I don't want to slate any solicitors online, but sometimes they can not respond and mm -hmm. do things uh, efficiently when, when, when they should. Yeah, I mean, even me personally, I prefer using um, mortgage brokers. When I first was starting out within my like first time prior journey, I really didn't understand like what the difference was. Well, I knew what the difference was, but I didn't really understand the proper difference between speaking to my broker and speaking to my bank and when I actually spoke to them both like I found a really good broker mm -hmm. um, that my family uses for all their properties yeah. and honestly I couldn't have asked for like a better service and just everything that he's he provided me with he literally as you said held my hand through the process yeah. and just made things a lot more clearer for me I feel like because I'm a first-time buyer and I'm only using a 90% mortgage um obviously not everybody's doing that at the moment so him really kind of just like breaking things down to me and just saying like this is a little bit restricted at the moment um was a lot better that I found than speaking to my bank my bank was more like yes no and then that was it it was done yeah that's it and that's that's also the other advantage to speaking to having a good advisor I mean when people come to us and they might not be in the right situation or it's a no for you right now because of whatever your income's not quite high enough for what you you're, you're trying to borrow or your credit mm -hmm. a bit off. We will give them the solution, like come back when you have done this, this and this, and then you'll be in a better position or you need to save more deposit or 
you know, you need more income or you need to pay off, you know, your car finance and get rid of that. That's the other thing I would uh, advise all first time buyers. You want to have zero commitments um, when you're buying, when you're applying for a mortgage. Um, I feel like that really does um, affect my um, situation as well, because I have a car on finance. I always finance my cars. Yeah. And um, I recently just got a new car in June. So um, I know that my payments are high, but then it's what I did a lot of work when I left uni and I, I got my first job in just literally cancelling out all my credit cards and just making sure I have no commitments there. But other than my credit card, I mean, other than my car, sorry, I don't really have any financial commitments. I don't have any children, mm -hmm. any kind of things that I need to like pay off like that other than my credit card. But it's it stays on zero now yeah. unless it's a serious emergency. So I know that does help, but I do know that my car finance does hinder how much I'm actually eligible to borrow. Yeah, it does. And, mm. and, and, and the system's quite silly, really, because today you've got no car. Tomorrow you complete on your new property and the day after you go and finance a car and, you know, what's the difference? It's affordable, but when they're looking at it, it, it becomes restrictive. Mm -hmm. um, but they've got to draw the line somewhere. So, you know, avoid avoid having uh, car finance. If you were getting a mortgage this year, don't change your car. Right? Oh, but you always, you always do it on PCP. Do you always do PCP on your... Yeah, I always do PCP, yeah. yeah. And I feel like just because I, I'm obviously based in Birmingham, like driving is like a must for me. Like if I lived in London, I don't think I'd have a car. I don't really see the point. Whenever I go down to London, I don't drive. I just get the train. Yeah. I'm more than comfortable with getting the tube and stuff like that. Um, So like if like you're from London, then definitely kind of like hold off and getting like a, a car on finance. Yes. If you can because you've got so much means to transport in London, whereas Birmingham is restricted. Yeah. I mean, like, if I was to try and get the bus into, like, Birmingham City Centre now, I'd have to wait every half an hour for the bus, and the bus would take me about 45 minutes to get into town. I'm not doing that. It <laughs> takes me 15 minutes to drive into town maximum. Yeah, uh, I, 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 understand, I understand that. I understand mm. that. You're absolutely right. The transport system in London is much, uh, much more developed. Yeah. But other than that, do they look at anything else? So do you know when they ask you for like your bank statements? So let's say like right now they're doing eat out to help out. Everybody wants to be getting that ten pound off, fifty percent off. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be penalised for that when they look at my bank statements? Does it look like I'm kind of not very credible with my money? Well, we we look at affordability. Mm -hmm. so, you know, you've got your essential costs. You're first time buyer, so you're maybe living at home with with mum and dad still, mm -hmm. or you haven't got any rent to pay or council tax or anything like that. So you've got more disposable income. Um, they do look at lifestyle costs, uh, but eating out, obviously, that's something that you can reduce mm -hmm. quite easily. It's not an essential kind of cost. So the affordability really comes down to your commitments, and you know maybe even a gym membership would be would have to be paid. yeah i've been asked i've been asked that quite a few times about yeah. Like, yeah, gym memberships stuff like that yeah yeah gym memberships and 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 eating out and socials and mobile phones and you know all of your costs are taken into account to see how much disposable income you mm -hmm. have remaining and then it's based on that but obviously if you're buying a house and you're going to start paying a a, a 500 pound mortgage let's say Mm -hmm. that you're not going to be spending £400 a month eating out and going out. And, yeah. You know. So, so, for example, like, when 
let's say I've made an offer for a house now and um, my, my mortgage lender has asked for to see my bank statements. Mm-hmm. And they're going through my bank statement just to make sure everything is legit in terms of what I've already, um, what information I've already submitted. If they see that, like, one month my spending was just erratic, like, it was just crazy, I was going here, I was going there. Yeah. Would they kind of, like, would they ever reject a mortgage application based on that? Or is it only based on the solid commitments? Now, if, if you're living within your means, Mm-hmm. You know, if you've had a crazy month spending and you're over your overdraft limit, and mm-hmm. that's not going to be well looked upon. Yeah. Um, but if you know, if you've had, if you've had a month, I mean, obviously, if you know that you're planning to buy a property in the next three to six months, I would be working as much overtime if you get overtime, and certainly monitoring my spending and saving, and you need to be anyway. Yeah. Because moving is expensive yeah and it's, it's, it doesn't just stop at deposit it doesn't just stop at the solicitor fees the mortgage advisor fee i mean the mortgage lender fees all of that all the valuation fees it's all also the moving process the moving. furniture the yeah. bills like it just yeah. yeah it starts to become a lot so it starts to add up and we, mm-hmm. we recommend that you kind of keep three months rainy day money back as well you know whatever your monthly income is you should have three preferably six times that amount amount of money yeah in in savings after you've moved so yeah that's actually a really really good tip i didn't actually think of that yeah that's what we recommend you should have yeah so obviously as i was saying before like you know i'm from birmingham and my first time buy options i think are a lot more broad in terms of my options i know that i can purchase a property for a hundred thousand pounds at the moment and i could get a flat i could get a house if it's a house, it will, it will definitely need a little bit of refurbishment doing to it, but it is still an option for me. Even if I wanted to move slightly out of Birmingham, so like Warsaw. Yeah. Warsaw from where I live is probably a 20-minute drive, and yeah. the house prices are significantly cheaper. Yeah. Um. So I do have a quite big option, but what would you say the first-time buyer options are right now for those that live in London? Because I know that Ooh. it just seems impossible. Um, In London now, I doubt... I mean, London has, uh, we all know what house prices are like in London. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you've got the bank of mum and dad to give you, you know, a six-figure deposit, mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult for you to buy by yourself. Yeah. So, you know, an average one-bedroom flat in London these days is, in the in the cheaper parts of London, are, are two fifty to 300000 in some yeah. It's insane. Five hundred thousand. That's insane. I, I just, I just don't understand that because that was probably the equivalent of the house that I used to live in when I was first born, and that was like I think like a two bedroom, really big house yeah. in a really nice area. Do you know what I mean? I just don't get that. It's, 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 it's supply and demand, I guess, mm. and because um, up until recently, most of the money you earn more money in London. You know, we've yeah. got a city down here. So you've got, although the national average wage is somewhere around 30,000, I think, and maybe in London that might be 40, you know, our average school teacher, policeman, fireman earns between 30 and 40,000. Mm-hmm. You can have somebody working in the city and it's not uncommon for them to be earning 60. So if you've got two of those people earning 120, then 
you know, buying something for 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 three hundred, four hundred thousand as a starter home is not, you know, it's not so ridiculous. The problem is mm -hmm. there, there aren't that many people earning that, so it, yeah. it is a problem. So the the government's introduced the schemes. We've got shared ownership. You know, help to buy. Um, what are your opinions on those? Especially the help to buy equity loan. I feel like that one is a big one. And I know that they're changing um, the the rules for April 2021. And yeah. it's just going to be for first time buyers. Yeah. So the, the, the rules for help to buy was, firstly, it has to be new build, mm -hmm. um, which helps the, 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 the wealthy developers already. Yeah. It was a maximum of 600,000. Uh, my view, I'm a little bit old school, so I'd prefer, I'd prefer to buy something older. I mean, you mentioned buying a house that might need a little bit of work, mm -hmm. a little bit further out, rather than buying a flat. Um, I would recommend that. I would, I would always try and stretch to a house if you can. Yeah. Um, typically, because they're not building houses anymore. If you really look at what's being built, it's normally flats. Well, in London, it is anyway. We very rarely see houses going up anymore. Um, and I know Birmingham has seen a massive boom of, of city centre flats. There's a yeah. lot of building that's gone on there. I've got, I bought a couple myself uh, really some time ago. So eventually people want to live in a house. Look at this pandemic that we've just had. People want garden space, outside space. Um, living in a flat is not always going to be the ideal thing. But what I would say is you can't always get what you want. So sometimes you have to want what you can get. So what I tell my people in, in London, my clients in London is, if you want to live in a particular area and you want to stay in London and shared ownership is the only way to go, then that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to, to do that. And you don't want to live an hour's commute from work. Um, the help to buy scheme, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm not a great fan of it, but I think mm -hmm. it's a useful thing to have. Again, for the same reason as the shared ownership, mm -hmm. if that's the only way you can get into a property in London, then it's better to have something than nothing. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want the hour and a half commute, or you don't want to go and live in Luton, or you know, mm -hmm. one of the suburbs of. Of, of London, although the transportation is, is in, improving, there is the cost and the stress of everybody traveling out and in, mm -hmm. you know, every day. So the loan, um, either way, the government still have a stake in your property and can they easily turn your property into a housing association property? Not that I'm aware of. It's not a housing mm. association property because you're going to own 60% of it. Yeah. Um, the government owns the other foot. Well, they have an equity stake in it. So for them to then say, well, it's it's now a housing association, I guess they could sell their debt to the housing association, but it, it's still not going to make it a housing association property. It's yours. Mm -hmm. Help buy, it's, it's your property. You're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same as ownership rather than the housing association tends to feel more like you're you're renting a property yeah mm. is it a case of where um you can't um use that property as investment later down the line so for example if i was to buy a property now i know that 
if I really wanted to, I could apply for consent to let, and then I could maybe rent it out uh, under certain circumstances. Yeah. Um, but with a help to buy equity loan, would I be eligible to do that? Or shared ownership? No, because you don't own a hundred percent of it. Yeah. So you're not allowed to. Um, you're not allowed to, to to rent any part of it out or rent it out. Even even the rent a room scheme, even though that is a government scheme as well. The rent a room scheme is different. Okay. Rent a room is different to you renting the entire property out. Yeah. The room you're still living there, you've just got a lodger in and that's that's acceptable. Although when, okay. when you're applying for a mortgage, you can't say I'm gonna rent a room and try and use the income. That doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I could that that's still a possibility for me to do if like yes, say like for example things were getting a little bit difficult, I needed someone to come in. Yeah. 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 That's a good option though as well. That is a good um, do you do you feel like ninety percent mortgages are going to come back anytime soon? Like I know that for for right now, I know that you got HSBC nationwide. I think Coventry Building Society just took it off. Um, but I'm not sure if they've still got it on there or not. But um, also platform, mm -hmm. they've got ninety percent mortgages. Um, but they all have some restrictions. I mean, I'm finding it really difficult at the moment to get a ninety percent mortgage. I may have to go back to my estate agent and put in a lower offer just so that I can maybe put in an 85% mortgage because mm. the restrictions are just insane, especially with HSBC and Nationwide. Yeah, so the lenders, there's, there's, there's a lot of weight behind keeping house prices up. So some lenders are not coming back into the market at 90% because they, they feel there's a 10% price fall in the making over the next 12 to 18 months maybe mm -hmm. no one knows how this pandemic is going to shake out with the business world yeah once the furlough scheme stops so some lenders are not wanting to go to 90 percent. i know nationwide came back recently but their only delay was because when they start lending at 90%, anybody who comes into the market with 90% is inundated with applications because everybody's got 10% deposits. Uh, mm -hmm. But they haven't got all of their staffing back up to proper levels yet. And it, that is unlikely to be until January next year. Yeah. I've been to, that I've heard on, on, you know, in industry circles. So the 90% lending, it will be back, but, I'm not I'm not sure when. So nationwide are back. They're a huge lender. HSBC have been getting better with their mortgage book. Um but they still have their early restrictions in the morning, like they cap it at like 8 30, I think. Yeah. Trying to get onto their system is just a nightmare. Yeah, because their staff are still working from home. Mm -hmm. so the the lenders I understand from an employee point of view are working at 70% um of their workforce okay 90% capacity um and if they start launching these 90% products everything will just grind to a halt they they yeah. have manpower to deal with it so there's an element of that that they're, they're not generally talking that's inside info they're not really saying that they're, they're just saying we're not we're not ready to launch 90% yet some mm. banks, some banks like i said are fearing uh, 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 their economists are, are forecasting a 15 up to a 15% fall in the market. So they don't want to lend over 80. The other big lender to come back in the market is uh, Lloyds Banking Group, which is Halifax. That's uh, great. But they're not back yet. Yeah. We're lending at 85. And I think yeah. 
so nationwide, if Santander, Santander lending at ninety, I, I don't know. If, no, not that. I think it's still eighty-five percent. Those are the those are the big three, really. Nationwide, mm -hmm. Halifax, Santander, they do most of the mortgage first-time lender type. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it will be back, just not just not yet. Would you advise first-time buyers if they only if they can only do a ninety percent mortgage that they haven't got the funds for eighty-five yet, or because I know that with nationwide as well, they've now got that um, bank of mum and dad cap on it. Restriction, yeah, has to be seventy-five um, percent um, yeah. of your own money, and then only twenty-five percent of um, your whoever's gifting you the the rest of the deposit. So, would you advise like? those who are just using 90% to kind of like hold off a little bit or just keep going if it, if they can find something? Always keep looking. Yeah. Always keep looking because you just never know what 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 you might find. And if you're not looking, you, you're not going to find anything. Mm. You, know? you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So if you're not out there, you've got to be in it to win it. I don't want to keep quoting too many different things, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be out there looking in the first place. So... You know, keep hope alive. No one said it was going to be easy. Yeah. Um, and just imagine how much, how much more satisfied you'll be if you find something at the right price in the right place uh, and you can get it away at 90%. If you can get to 85%, that's great. That's mm. better because the rates are better at 85% anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you, you just, you can only do what you can do and don't get too dis disheartened just keep looking that's a big thing because that's definitely me i'm such a stress head so i just get <laughs> irritated so easily with this whole process but yeah um i think that's a big thing just not to get disheartened yeah. when you're by a process because you just don't know what's going to happen you just kind of have to keep a positive outlook all the time yeah and just keep looking at stuff yeah just keep looking and if something new comes on go and look at it just you know have an idea of what's on the market in the area that you're looking for mm -hmm. you know what your money can stretch to you know you might even want to look at stuff that it's a little bit higher and be cheeky with it i don't know mm -hmm. um yeah you, you just, like i i remember many years ago i was looking for somewhere to live and just as i was ready to kind of give up uh the agent called and they had one more property for me to look at. And that was the one we ended up buying just when I was about yeah. to give up. And life can be like that sometimes. Just, mm -hmm. when, you, just when you're about to give up, the good, so true. good things happen. So, so true. you should never give up. You should just keep going, no matter how difficult it gets or how it feels. You should just keep going. 100%. But Paul, like, it's been so amazing to have you on the show. Like, thank you for answering all these questions. Like, I feel like you've gone through so much information, and I feel like everyone's going to benefit from this episode, yeah. especially those that live in London as well, because I know it can be really frustrating and kind of like a headache when it comes to the house pricing and feel like is it affordable? I know some people with COVID that just want to get out. So hopefully, this is um, really going to help. Um, do you have any um, upcoming um, events or courses or anything that people need to know about? Because I feel like your services are just amazing. Yeah, that's that's excellent. And and thanks for, um, if you go on my website, I have got a course coming, which you mentioned at the start of the call. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's due this month. But you can also find me on Instagram at, uh, at Paul underscore Anthony underscore Roberts. Uh, and my website's paulantonyroberts.com. Um, I'm also involved with the uh, 
Black Landlords Group, um, which is how you came across me, Hayley, I'm sure. And yeah. also we have the Black Property Group, which is a London-based similar type of uh, organization where we, we aim to connect, share and facilitate wealth through property. So loads of things to get you on then loads and go to the project section you'll find um how to connect with me from for mortgages you can Mm -hmm. call uh the black property groups on there uh, and my charity limel gardens football club also is something that i do to kind of give back change people's lives through football um but yeah connect with me getting get in touch i always advise people to speak to your advisor early um before you start go looking and at least you know where you are and what you're doing we don't mm-hmm. expect you it doesn't cost you anything to come and speak to me and um, we do charge fees but we don't charge until you're submitting an application which is quite a way down the line from from that first conversation so um, that's really important to know as well yeah yeah so thanks, Hayley. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.